0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. This week, I am very excited. I have Rachel Musial. She is a speech-language pathologist. You probably know her from her very popular Instagram account, Speech with Rach. She is a speech-language pathologist based out of Denver, Colorado, and she's currently working in pediatric home health. You can find her at her website, www.speechwithraich.com. Like I mentioned, her Instagram at Speech with Rach, and she also has a Facebook page, which is also Speech with rage I'm really excited to have her on. We're going to talk about early intervention, parent coaching, and child-directed play-based approaches. With that, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I thought we could just start with talking about what drew you to speech-language pathology. You're so passionate about it. Your energy off your Instagram is infectious, and it makes me so excited to be joining this field and getting involved with it more, so what made you pick it?
1: Thank you. First off, that's super sweet of you to say. I do. This field really is a passion for me. I'm a big sister and got two younger siblings, a sister that is two years younger than me and a brother that's six years. And they both attended speech therapy for a while as kids. And so as the big sister, it was really hard for me to see them struggle with something that came so easily to me, especially because in high school and middle school, I was a theater kid. My voice was my world. I could manipulate it. I could use it in so many different ways. And it was really shocking and hard for me to see when my siblings couldn't. And you know, I started to see bullying and things like that, especially when we were at the same schools. And very quickly, I just realized, like, this is my path. I feel like I'm a natural kind of translator already, because I've been through it as a big sister. And having my theater background, it was, to me, a combination of using my voice and also inspiring others to use theirs. And so I kind of felt like it was that nice blend of still being a theater kid without worrying about, you know, the movies and that afterlife but then also in that medical-based field. And I just it just threw me in so quickly.
0: It's kind of nice that you have that personal side of SLP and the professional side. I notice a lot when people who they are SLPs or they're going to be SLPs and they have personal experiences with SLP, I think it just adds a whole other layer to not only your understanding, but also just your kind of appreciation for what the kids are going through that you're working with and what the families are going through as well. It just opens up a whole other side
1: having that appreciation for it is something that you just can't teach growing up my father was not a part of our family from like middle school on just very much in his own world and so i kind of had to step up as big sister and kind of learn about some of the struggles and you know my mom shared with me some things that was really hard for her as a parent raising children that had you know speech difficulties and so i think even at like 14 15 16 I was having those conversations about how it affects a family. And so when I got to the point of being a therapist, I was like, I need to touch on these points that affected me when I was that age because it is so encompassing.
0: This makes a lot of sense as someone who's been following on your Instagram for so long because you you do incorporate mindfulness and you do incorporate, mm-hmm. you're very thoughtful with how you involve parents. So it makes a lot of sense hearing about this. I didn't know about that. So that's really interesting. In the States, I mean, there's any Canadians out there listening. They have what's <laughs> called a CF year. After SLPs graduate from the program in the States, they have one more year and then they go into the workforce. Could you just kind of explain what a CF year is, what it stands for? And then can you just tell us what setting you worked in and how your experience was?
1: Yeah. So your CF year is called your clinical fellowship year. And basically the way that I kind of explain it is like, you don't really trust you yet enough to be an SLP on your own. So you've got like a supervisor and you're making a lot of your own decisions, but you still kind of have a little bit of a watchful eye, somebody hanging on your shoulder to support you. For me, when I was picking my CF, I really wanted the independence. I am very much a sink or swim clinician. I like to take the risks and learn from them kind of versus playing it safe. And so I took a contract position as my CF year, And a lot of times that is kind of advised against. Because with a contract position, typically you are contracted at that school or at that practice. So your supervisor isn't on site. So really you're depending on yourself a lot and really using them to guide you. And I wanted that experience, and I wanted that challenge. And so I moved to Los Angeles to be by the beach, you know, be in the sun, and use my Spanish, because I also knew that there'd be a Spanish population there. The job I took was the most intense experience ever. I had 85 kids by myself within three schools. 85. Preschool till sixth grade, so it was a range. I had a mild to severe preschool and a mod to severe SDC classroom, which is called the special day classroom. And then I had all the gen ed kiddos. And I was splitting my time three days at one school, which was really two schools, and then two days at the other. I very quickly learned that burnout is a real thing in this field. And I also learned that I'm a clinician that gives too much. That for me, when I look at the child, I treat the whole child. And so I started to struggle in the schools because I felt like there was a lot of pressure for this percentage to qualify and this score and this skill versus what does the child need? What is functional? And so that experience was incredible because it challenged me and it showed me that that school setting wasn't the right position for me. And I learned a lot about, you know, my, the way that I approach therapy as a clinician, which is really just whole child focused.
0: So now you're in home health. So first, what is home health? And then for anyone who's listening, who's not familiar with that, and then also, why did you transition to home health? And how has your experience been with it so far?
1: So 85 kids wasn't enough for me for my ICF. So I worked two additional jobs on the side. I did two contract positions where I was seeing about 10 other kids privately. <laughs> because I'm a crazy person and I work Saturdays and Sundays and you know but I loved home health because I got to be in the homes and seeing functional growth in natural environments and what I the, what really drew me to it was the birth to three population that early intervention population so in home health the idea is that you go into the home to deliver functional therapy in a naturalistic environment. The main idea behind it is that we're working on skills that are everyday activities, incorporating parents and letting kiddos practice it in their natural environment to see a lot more generalization and growth. When I transitioned to it in LA, I was doing that in the schools at the same time. And I loved that because I saw the contrast. And what I loved about home health was if my session for the day was just sitting there blowing bubbles, that was okay. Because that's what the kiddo needed that day. I didn't feel pressure to hit these objectives or touch these THs and do those things. Because to me, if a kiddo is not accessing their mental health, if they're not regulated, you're not gonna have a successful session. And so I loved the freedom of focusing on the child and their needs and parents' needs for the day. And so I moved to Denver and went to home health and now I've been doing it full time since January and it's been awesome, I'm really loving it.
0: I really like how you explained it, functional growth in a natural environment. It makes so much sense because then you can see what they're doing at home, you can see how they're interacting with their environment, and like you said, the generalization, you can see if it's happening with the people that they're around and the things that they're using. I could totally see why that would be really beneficial.
1: Yeah, because sometimes in the schools or in the clinic, we think they have the skill, but we're in such a structured closed environment that I'm like, okay, what if we went to the park and took out our typical toys and this? What would happen? You know, would kiddo use language, would they self regulate? And so it's really cool to bring them in different environments and see those skills carry over.
0: Yeah, I was talking about that with Marie from Thanks Morris. We were talking about if you take a child out of, uh, when you're working in the schools, you pull them out. If you're working on a sound, you think they have it. And then you go into the classroom and you're like, what? They have it in the room. And then as soon as they, so it's, it's nice to see the child in their environment. We're going to talk about early intervention and everything. So first of all, just what exactly is it for anyone who's, what is early intervention? What's the age range? And why do you love it so much? Because a lot of what you talk about and your, what your Instagram, the kind of strategies you give and everything, they're very targeted to the early intervention population. What makes you love it so much? And what exactly is it?
1: Yeah. So early intervention is, so typically it's the birth to three age group. And the idea behind early intervention is, and you know, I, I'm not sure in Canada, do you guys have the idea
0: act Sorry, for the American exam and I'm learning about Okay,
1: it. The plan was behind that was that from birth to three, that children that had delays should receive, you know, free therapy from the state. So that's what early intervention is. And there's some programs that we partner with, with my company that are called community centered boards, where they go through that big transition process and those companies kind of find us. Some other ones are just parents that are concerned, but it always is birth to three. And once they get to three, they age out of the early intervention program and then have to reapply through like an appeal process through either Medicaid, private insurance, things like that. It's kind of like a jumpstart. And I think the reason that I love it so much is I love early language. I love language personally for me more than speech because like I said, I like giving kiddos a voice. And in theater, it was so powerful for me to see how my words could impact other people when I took on like a character or I gave a speech or I read a monologue that I was like, wow, words are so powerful. And with my littles, I saw that there was a lot of frustration and a lot of communication of wanting to happen, but it wasn't there. And I felt like. With my personality and my kind of experiences, I could be that person that helps them learn those first words and kind of build that relationship. And two, as an older sister, when my little sister was struggling, like I said, it was hard for me. You know, I was her translator. I would tell my mom what she was saying. We would go around the house and I was explaining everything. And I loved that. I loved feeling empowered. And I loved like when she'd get a word or a new word, that feeling of success. So for me, I love it because the kiddos are experiencing new skills so young and the parents as well. This is the first time that they're looking at communication and it's overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. So I like that. I feel that I can be that guide, that partner for them to be like, okay, I know this is a lot, but we're going to get through it together.
0: I have goosebumps from you talking about that. I love hearing you explain that. I really relate to how you feel with giving them a voice and how empowering and that can be. And just the impact that it can make for parents Yes, is so, you can't even explain it in words. Like seeing a parent watch their child slowly learn to be able to communicate. It's so amazing. In
1: home health, I tell them, it's my job to teach you to teach your kids to talk. Mm -hmm. So parents are part of that process. So like when they see the success, I think they enjoy it almost more because they are in those sessions. They are carrying over those activities during the week and are really working with them. I mean, at least the families I've been working with. So for them too, it's like, it's a success for them.
0: You talk a lot about how parents are on the therapy team. You talk a lot about parent coaching. Why are parents so important on the therapy team?
1: The home environment is so impactful. And like I kind of shared briefly, I grew up in a home that was pretty stable when I was younger. And then when I was in grade school, I found out my dad was an alcoholic. And it just really shifted the, the whole energy in my household. And it really affected me. And I held a lot of that in. People at school didn't know. And I started to realize like, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And home life really shapes someone really shapes their personality, really shapes their values and their communication. And since I saw the importance of that, I wanted to make sure that I got in the home early enough where I could help families build those strong relationships to hopefully not have a broken relationship later in life or see some of those negative impacts. And so I just, I love when I've got my little communicators and parents that are very enthusiastic about getting them to learn because growing up I kind of felt like my voice was stifled a little bit you know I couldn't speak up to my dad he was very verbally abusive to myself and my family and I think that just made me feel so much more empowered that like I don't want anyone to feel how I felt and I know how intense home life can affect your mental health and your communication and your connection and so I wanted to get into the home and really make a difference and Luckily, too, in home health, if you see abuse, if you see things going on, you know, you're a mandated reporter, and sometimes you're the only eyes, you're the only other eyes in the home that really get to see what's going on, so you might be that kiddo's only advocate.
0: What we do, it just goes so far beyond speech and language. Yes. What are some strategies you use for communicating, coaching, and involving parents in your sessions?
1: I always tell parents what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Sometimes we can take on the role of, like, I'm the therapist. I'm going to do versus like, here's what I'm doing, mom. Let me explain. I'm going to model and then I'm going to give you a chance. So I kind of set my sessions up where I've got some plans, but again, I kind of let kiddo lead the way. I see kind of what skill working on for the day. And then typically we focus on some kind of word phrase or strategy. So A lot of times for me, I'm focusing on like functional core words. So things like more, eat, help, want, and I'm using it in the session. I'm building a plea-based activity. I'm explaining to mom. And then I usually step back and say, okay, you want to try now? And mom will jump in and kind of lead the session and play with it. And then we end our sessions with being like, okay, this is going to be our focus for the week. You know, try it with your kiddo. Let me know how it goes. And the next week, the first question I always ask for every single session is, you know, what changes have we seen? What updates? How's kiddo feeling today? Did they get enough sleep last night? Just checking in kind of on that mental health and that kind of self-regulation piece and then giving parents strategies and going over things.
0: I like how you have a very holistic stance and view. Uh, it's really nice to see. You do talk a lot about mental health and wellness with kids, and I think it's so important. It can't be emphasized enough that just checking in and seeing, like, how are they feeling? How was yesterday? Is there something going on later today? Like, what's what's going on and what's making them feel how they're feeling right now? Right. And, like, sometimes, too, you know, I'll look at my goals, and last week they were at 30%, and this week
1: only at 20 but... I put in my note that mom shared that, you know, kiddo didn't get enough sleep last night. And okay, maybe we look into sleep. Now is sleep an issue? And I like that because when I'm in the home too, it opens up other areas that we need to think about, like vision or sleep or activity level or even family stability. Is there opportunity in the home for the child to play? What does the home environment look like? I really, I challenge parents to be open with me and be willing to carry some of those things over. And I also share with them that I know it's overwhelming and it's okay to not do these things. Sometimes when I check in, they're like, oh, I didn't get to but I'm sorry. And I always say, you do not need to apologize. Anything I say to you is a suggestion to help better, you know, or to give it a try for your child. There's no have to, there's no need to, there's no, oops, I didn't. It's, I want to empower you to feel successful. And if you didn't have to use that strategy or that skill this week, then you didn't. And that's okay.
0: You also have, because you've mentioned already a few times kind of that you let the child lead and you see what they're interested in and what they're doing. So can you tell me more about this? I think you, you kind of call it like a child directed play-based approach. I love play-based approaches. I just think that they can be so helpful with really using that child's motivation to Mm -hmm. their goals, so can you just talk a little bit about that child-directed play-based approach?
1: Yeah, so the reason I kind of started with that was, you know, the idea behind intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. You know, intrinsic motivation is when you're doing something because your soul, you know, your spirit, you want to do it, you're feeling empowered to do it. Extrinsic motivation is when you're doing something for money or for a sticker or for a prize, and I started to notice that when I switched to play-based activities, My kiddos were way more intrinsically motivated because they were excited about the activity and involved. And in grad school, the Hannon program came and they did a talk for us about the It Takes Two to Talk program. And I remember there was this one slide, a little video of a boy that was like playing with a ball. And the mom had a teddy bear and kept saying, look at the bear, look at the bear. And the kid was just sitting with the ball. And the presenter stopped the video and was like, why would mom take out a new toy when there was an opportunity for language right there? The kiddo's already engaged. Why don't we use that? And then when I started changing my approach, I was like, oh my God, this is so much more successful. So like one day, for example, in the schools, we went down, me and another therapist, because she was struggling with this kid and he would not do anything. No sensory, no physical activity, no music, nothing. The whole session, he was pushing this big mat up and down on the wall. The whole session, just like pushing it up and down. And I looked at her, I said, this is what we're doing. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, he's interested. We're going to go up, 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 crash, down, 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 down. And she had never seen so much feature of him before. It wasn't what we had planned. Maybe it wasn't the most functional, but it was what he was engaged in and he was motivated by. And to see that change in him, I was like, whoa, this works. Like, of course, I like to challenge my kids sometimes and, you know, break away. I do a mix of unpreferred and preferred activities. But I typically like to start with something preferred. So kiddos in that positive state of mind. And then I bring in those little challenges, like we'll add in maybe a character to their play or I'll change the environment. Or we'll go to a different room. So I'll add in things as we're playing, but I just see a lot more interest and a lot more success when my kids want to talk to me because it's a fun activity that they want to do that day.
0: I really like how you broke that down into kind of why it works. It makes so much sense explaining it extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Yeah. That it it if you think about it, it's like we wouldn't be very interested in learning. If we really wanted to learn with our notebook and then someone kept putting a laptop in front of us, yeah. we would be like, I don't want to do this. I wanted to do it with my notebook. So it's kind of like really just harnessing that interest that's already there. What you kind of just talked about was something a clinical educator taught me in one of my placements was it doesn't have to be the biggest, craziest change ever to kind of start oh. showing variation. Like just how you mentioned add a character or, change the room It's to us it might seem like such a tiny variation but that could be big for them
1: oh totally like i have one kiddo that we've been doing like las frutas fruits for weeks because he loves them but last week i took my puppet out and i said oh cow wants to eat the fruit so we were doing cow eats strawberries or like la vaca come fresas and we added that in and it was still the same activity the kiddo goes to every week but we added that layer and mom was like oh this is super cool. I didn't think about, you know, bringing in a toy or adding this part into it. So there's a lot of expansion you can do with activities that kids are already motivated by.
0: I was working with this one little kiddo in my last placement and he didn't, this wasn't the same clinical educator that taught me about the variations. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He didn't, he didn't really like when things were changed up too much. So we were like racing cars. So then the change for that day was just instead of racing the cars, one way we raced it in a straight line and that was like a big deal for him but he he adapted and the mom was like
1: oh okay (laughs) and he's not going to resist as much you know like we talk about that zone of proximal development where we want to push kiddos but enough that they're feeling supported in that in when we're pushing them and that we're giving them the skills when we push them so like for your kiddo that day going in that line could have been the most challenging thing for him, but it showed him that he can adapt too. Mm-hmm. So even just away from that language piece, I mean, the self-regulation and the skill that it takes to do that is huge. And a lot of our kids don't have those skills.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I learned so much from you, from your Instagrams. It's so helpful as as a new clinician, like just finishing grad school, I find that Everything you post is just so helpful. I love seeing your stories. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom for SLPs or more specifically for early intervention SLPs, people that are, we're working with these little kids? What, what's your advice?
1: I think the first thing I'll say is that you are you and that is your superpower. I think very early on, I was comparing myself in grad school to you know this student or this clinician. And I was like, well, I don't do it that way. I do it this way. And I started to realize, like, I am the clinician that I am. And the right kind of clients will want that clinician. And so if someone's doing something different, it's not that it's wrong. It's just the way that they're looking at it. So I think believing in yourself and having that power is really, really helpful. And two, as a CF, you know, or as an SLP, a lot of times in the schools or in bigger companies, you might be the only one that is the communication expert. And so you should feel pride because, again, you are an expert. We don't realize how much we know until sometimes I talk to parents and I highlight, you know, the skills that I see that they're doing in sessions. And I realize that we do those so innately. We already have so much knowledge that we don't even realize. And so I think just believing in yourself and knowing that you have this ability and that your intention is always positive. For me, kind of my mantra in life is always, if I post this, if I do this, whatever, but I know at the end of the day that my intention is love and light. My intention is for that child to succeed. My intention is positivity. It might not go to plan, and that's okay, but as long at the end of the day that I had a positive intention towards it, to me, that's still a success. So just letting go early and learning that session's Nine out of 10 times will not go according to plan. And that's okay. Does not mean you're a failure by any means. If anything, you're more successful when you can adapt. Mm -hmm. I think that shows a really true clinician is you don't have your fancy toys. Something goes wrong. What do you do? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's where I've seen myself and a lot of other SLPs really shine is in that adaptability kind of area.
0: I love that. I think that people are going to find that very valuable. I know I just found that very reassuring. It's so nice to hear you say kind of like, just be yourself because so often you kind of want to be what your clinical educator was. So that's really nice to hear from you. And just where can people reach you? I know that you have a webinar coming up that I'm very, very interested. In. I'll let you share more about that. But just to end off, where can people reach you? Where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so I just launched my website last week, which is speechwithreach.com. Um and on there I've got a lot of goodies like parent handouts. I've also started um some SLP mentorship and some parent coaching because I love doing therapy, but I really like coaching SLPs and parents more. And so I would really love to be able to support, you know, clinicians like you. That are just starting out in the field and want to go to someone and say, hey, without any judgment, like, am I doing this right? You know, like, you're not my CF mentor. Like, who else can I talk to? So I've focused on that on my website. And I've also posted a early intervention webinar that I'm going to be hosting Sunday, June 28th at 530 Mountain Time. And it's basically going to be my early intervention kind of 101. What is in my bag? You know, how do I start and set up my sessions? What are strategies? You know, the say one, add one approach, you know, waiting eight seconds between my kiddos' responses, actually, specific strategies that I use that I see success. And for anyone that can't come to the webinar, too, it's going to be recorded. So if you sign up for it, you'll still get it sent to your inbox right away. So I'm excited to host that. And then, of course, on my Instagram and my Facebook, Speech with Rach is where I post most of my daily life on there, so Instagram is really my main kind of area of of love. I mean, that's our community. So, <laughs> I love
0: that. yeah. Okay, so anyone who is listening, you should go check out her Instagram. And I'm going to put everything that you just referred to in the description of the podcast. So, if anyone's wondering, where do I find her website? Where do I find her? All of that is going to be in the description. I really recommend checking out her webinar. I just your tips are so tangible, it's so helpful.
1: And you know what? Thank you for saying that because that is something I really strive for with my parents too. Like I've always said, we don't go to the doctor and they say, like, you know, do this, do that. A lot of times they write it down on the prescription or they give us that tangible strategy. And so I want to make sure when I'm working with parents and SLPs that I'm like, you guys, here's how you do it. Here is the ability to become confident in your skills because until you have that, you can't apply it and you can't challenge yourself.
0: Okay. Well, thank you again for coming on. And I'm really excited to see your webinar and I hope everyone checks out your page and your webinar and everything, but thank you so much for coming on. It was really nice to chat with you.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I'll see everyone next Monday.